Good evening, everybody. So uh, if you don't know, my name is Kirk Israel, and uh, I am the missionary in Castleton, Vermont. And uh, so the, I was asked to do a presentation on the work that's going on there, so I thought um, I would bring that to you in a way that um, hopefully you'll enjoy it and learn something about Vermont that you didn't know. So uh, typically when you drive into Vermont, there will be a sign that says this. And, uh, and it's true. Welcome to Vermont, uh, the freedom and unity state. And uh, the native Vermonters, um, <clears throat> they have this uh, uh, reclusive kind of uh, behavior where they like um, the state to stay the way it is. And, uh, but the state now is filling up rapidly with people who are coming from the larger cities like New York City, Hartford, uh, Boston, Massachusetts. It's no longer a second home community, but it is now becoming a community of city dwellers in the country. And so uh, the Vermonters are not happy about that. Our legislature there is about uh, more than 90 percent um, uh, transplant and uh, leaving only 10 percent native Vermonters. And so uh, they have this little thought that we talk about quite a bit among those that are native to Vermont, and this is where they feel that things need to be said. It's like, welcome, come visit, uh, enjoy the forest, but now go home. Don't bring your things to Vermont, but it's too late. Uh, Vermont is uh, overrun now with that. Uh, here's a little bit of work that, uh, that I thought would be fun to share with you if I could get my uh, computer to work here. So um, kind of a little glimpse of the evolution of Karen and I, you know, believe it or not, I actually had hair at one time, but now most of it is gone. And, uh, and I've had a variety of different beers and Karen is um, always consistent, always happy, always smiling and uh, always uh, looking like she's ready to go to work. And that's really our attitude is it's time to go to work. Now, look, one of the things that uh, we, people don't know is Karen and I joined our congregation when there were four people there. So I was number five, Karen was number six. And, um, and we started with that congregation in 2004. So just in three or four more months, we will have been with this group for 20 years. And I find that uh, interesting because it doesn't feel like 20 years. It feels like yesterday when we started with them. We went to Sunset, graduated in 2013, went back, and now... Uh, we have been there 10 years preaching and teaching and spreading the gospel. Just, just for some data for you. Uh, we began in a home owned by Mike and Carol Adaman up on this road called the East Hubberton Road, which is a road that overlooks all of the Castleton um, area. And, and so that's where we started. And when we grew up to where we had about 25 people in their house and we were tearing up their furniture and kids were uh, doing Bible class on their beds, and they had crayon marks all over the place. That's when we decided we ought to get out of there. And, and so we did. So, uh, you know, just to talk about Vermont a little bit, uh, Vermont is a place where... Um, it's a place where people don't believe in God at all. They don't even believe God exists. Uh, uh, there's no way to say it in a nice way. Um, the people there are very difficult and hard to teach the gospel to. Uh, but now and again, you run across people who are open. Uh, you know, trying to build uh, the foundation of a church when 
uh, 80% of the congregation are brand new believers is not an easy task, and it takes a lot of work. Uh, you know, it's not like they can just go right out and share the gospel. And uh, so, so it takes time to raise up servants. And in that process, there are all kinds of things that happen that throw people off in terms of things that get in the way of their faith and they end up falling away. And, uh, you know, when I think about the parable of the sower, it makes me sad just to think about the number of people that will fall away over the course of time. You, you know, um, you might think about that for yourselves. How strong is your faith? How strong are you in times of trouble? How strong are you when there is uh, nothing or no one to encourage you when things are going tough? You, you might think about that for a bit, you know, as we're going on. Because in Vermont, sometimes people fall away over the most ridiculous little things. Something that's so easy that they could conquer, but yet they won't even try at times. Let's talk about some facts about the region here a little bit. So if you, whoops, I guess I got to click twice here, don't I? So look, here's the thing about Vermont. So you can see the state. If you Google up Vermont, New Hampshire on a map, you'll see that New Hampshire is upside down. You don't believe me? You can take a minute and Google it if you need to. So look, we are located uh, in Rutland County. That's the region that is circled in red. And Castleton, the community where we live, is that little yellow spot that you see. And the point of the arrow is almost exactly where we're located in Castleton, Vermont. So Vermont's population is about 623,989 people. That's the total population in Vermont. And that's as of 2023. It has declined from 656,000 in 1985. And Rutland County has a population of about 60,251 people. We're, we are a county church, not a town church or a city church. You know, we wouldn't call ourselves the church at Castleton uh, for two reasons. One, it wasn't available when we registered as a nonprofit church in the state government. And two, because we like the Green Mountain Church because it addresses the fact that we're a regional church. How about some photos of where we worship? So this is our building. Whoops. This is our building right here. Uh, we have uh, parking for about 70 cars. We, uh, uh, we bought this building when it was a rundown hardware store and it had uh, no interior finish other than rough saw and pine and it had one bathroom that in the winter would freeze so nobody could use it. But we were blessed uh, by God in this building when we were able to purchase it because we had members in our congregation that had all of the construction skills. We had an architect at the time. Uh, we have carpenters. We have plumbers. We have electricians. We had everything that we needed in order to renovate the building. And every single person in our congregation worked on this building. It was a, a family project that we loved doing that. And it was finished in 2015. And this is the result of all of their work. Uh, up in the upper left-hand corner, that's our Bible classroom for adults. And uh, uh, we love it because it's just, this building is designed just like Mike and Carol's house. You would come in through their garage into the kitchen, which was where we would have fellowship. 
And then we would go into their living room and we would have worship in their living room. And all the kids would go into the bedrooms. And then when we finished worship and all the kids had finished with their classes, they would come out and we would all meet in the kitchen. So you can see our kitchen. And then we would all congregate in the kitchen as our fellowship hall. This building is just like what we did in that house. And then we have a, a library that was put together by people um, sending us books over the course of years, and we uh, gained a lot of them from Sunset. And, and then this is my office, and then we have our sign on the right, which matches what was on the map. By the way, we also have a nursery with two small classrooms as well. Here's some demographics about Vermont. So our population in Rutland County is about um, 600, no, that's not the right number, excuse me. So, so you can see the diversity of the state. It's not very diverse, by the way. So we have all of the churches that you have in Texas. You probably have others. You probably have some of the more diverse Asian congregations that we don't have. Uh, we have uh, several churches in Vermont that are closing their doors of the denominations. Uh, there's not enough people to uh, participate in those congregations, and so they don't have the resources. Their denominations aren't willing to support those structures any longer, so they are closing. Uh, there are also churches that are now starting to merge. The Episcopalians and the Methodists are starting to merge. And uh, I, I find it interesting because they're merging, the Episcopalians are merging with the Methodists. And I'm not sure how that would quite work out. But um, uh, each preacher is preaching every other Sunday. And, and so those bodies, you know, we're talking about churches with maybe six or seven members left in their congregation. So they'll become a congregation of 12 or 13. Uh, we have two churches. Let's see if I can point to them here. So these two churches, Mission City and the Revived Church, are the only instrumental churches uh, in, in our area. One is a Baptist church, and the other is um, a, a, a Christian church. Uh, one of the things Karen and I have seen over the years, though, is that instrumental churches have come in uh, to our area. And one of the things that we found interesting is, is that the level of entertainment that is required every time they meet, the bar has to be raised and raised and raised and raised and raised. And when they can't afford to raise the bar any longer, their population starts to decline and then decline and then decline until they're no more. And we've seen that. It's already happened. It happened at Castleton University. Uh, they weren't able to afford what it was required in order to maintain that level of entertainment to keep the attention of the crowd, and then they ended up folding and falling away. So we have all the things that everybody else is going on and having as well. Now, uh, Vermont is the least religious state again. I, I, every time I've been here, I've told you that. It started in 2009. But now there are six states that are... Um, there are six states now that are also in the running for the least religious state. Can you guess which ones they are? Just, just to 
tell you they are uh, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Rhode Island. They are all New England churches. Now you think, well, so what? It's New England, right? But here's the thing that's interesting is whatever happens or begins in Vermont and travels all the way through all of the New England churches, then it goes down the eastern seaboard, whatever they're deciding to do, whether it's godly or ungodly, and then it will travel from there all the way across the country, all the way. Now, I've used this before, and you'll hear it again. Civil unions started in Vermont, and think about what it did to the entire nation. There's all kinds of things that are coming up in the future that are going to be shocking to you that are now legislated in Vermont. Take a look at the stats, though. If 32% of the population of Vermont believes in a higher power than themselves, that means there are 199,676 people who believe in something greater than themselves. That's a really small portion of the state, and even though the state's numbers are already low. In our county, it's 60,251. So that leaves 32% is 19,280 people who believe in a higher power. What's interesting is in this survey, they don't say what the higher power is. It might be Buddha. It could be any of the Hindu gods. It could be uh, anything that the cults are believing in. It could be anything that they believe is higher than themselves, 19,000. But if you broke that down among all of the churches in Vermont, uh, that would mean that there should be about 450 people in every congregation, because that's the list of all the churches in our county, that list I showed you. But most of them are hanging out at 30 to 50, which means that we can reach people, can't we? If we can show that there is something greater than themselves, maybe they'll hear the gospel. By the way, the New Age movement, home churches, individuals who are worshiping as a church in their own home, even though it may be just the two of them, we, we don't know what that means when they talk about something greater than themselves. There's no definition for what that means. Look, uh, what I want to do is show you some things. When we decided um, what we were going to do for the year, we don't have uh, men who just decide these are the things the church is going to do. We have a congregational meeting. We bring everybody into one room, and we just give them a criteria. We ask them to do, to look for things that will enhance three things. The first is organizational processes that will seek and save the lost. Bring people we don't know to the building that we can teach them the gospel. So we need programs that will do that. The second thing is we wanted something that would enhance other churches in Vermont to strengthen them and encourage them to do the work of the gospel and reach further and further outside of their means. And lastly, what we ask is for programs that will enhance us individually in our congregation. So this is the first program. Uh, they decided they wanted to host a spring dinner. Uh, we have always had a fall dinner and, uh, and, so, and have had a lot of success, and they know that people like to eat. And so we had a spring dinner, and we had 35 people from the community that we had never met show up for that spring dinner. We also like to sing. And so we had 
a community sing. And one of the things that happened at this sing, which we thought was interesting, is a lady from a church in South Burlington who attended, uh, she came up and was talking to myself and Mike, uh, kind of my partner in all of this with Karen and Carol, his wife. Uh, but she came up in tears because we had every church in the state of Vermont participated in our sing. And we had two churches from New York, and they all brought their song leaders. And some of them are excellent song leaders. And she said, I have never heard a cappella singing that was so beautiful as it was at that meeting. But she was in tears over it. And so we felt like we really encouraged and strengthened our brothers and sisters in Christ. We also had this gentleman. He is a professor at Lubbock Christian University. He's a doctorate in biology. He... um, He wanted to bring a series of lectures uh, talking about, is science being honest with us today? And in his series, what he said was, you know, we can listen to what science has to say, but how do we know when they're telling us the truth? And what he found was, is that the data that they're using to claim that there is no God, that there is no creation story, that there is no Jesus, that none of the data matches up with what they're saying. And he did a lesson after lesson after lesson showing how the data is not being uh, presented properly in order to side only with a view against God. Uh, we had so many people asking for copies of the PowerPoint, we are having to email them copies for it. Uh, this is a, we went to the state fair this year and gave out over 200 Bibles to people walking by. Uh, but we also had four people from Walnut, uh, the Walnut Church of Christ come and work at the fair. And these four were proven evangelists. They have won and taught and baptized tons of people. And so they, their goal was to teach the gospel to somebody while they were there. And so we were there for four days working. The first thing they noticed is as soon as a group of people would be walking down the corridor, so you can see the corridor behind uh, this bottom picture on the right, bottom picture on the right here. So you can see that corridor. As they would come by and they would see the Church of Christ sign, what they would do is they would turn their heads and look away from us. They wouldn't even look at us. And, uh, And so they were shocked by that. And then they would try to approach somebody, and there was a woman named Jean here. She's up in the top uh, left-hand corner wearing the blue shirt, tears streaming down her face because she was trying to reach mothers with children. And the mothers would say, listen, don't talk to me about that foolishness. I'm never going to teach my kids about Jesus. And she just burst into tears, feeling heartbroken over the fact that their children would never hear about Jesus. I, I don't know if, you would, if that would happen here or not, but it was, it was terrible for them. Now, look, they were working what I call the short haul. They were trying to get into a Bible study with somebody as quickly as they could. And one of them, David, uh, he's the guy in the red shirt up there with the black stripes. He uh, got two studies lined up. He got one where he actually got to teach a person the first part of a lesson. In that lesson, the young man was so excited, he says, I'll come back and finish the lesson with you. And they made an appointment. The other young man, he was excited and made an appointment, but on both of their days when they were to show up, neither one of them showed up. He was heartbroken over it, and he wasn't able to get another appointment the rest of the time. Now look, I'm a, what I call a long-haul evangelist. I understand the culture of Vermont, and it's how closed off it is, 
And, and so for me, it's about developing a place where I can get a conversation started and a relationship. So I want to tell you a story. This is a story that I use uh, to, to get into a conversation with somebody, actually several. And the story is about a beggar. A beggar that was so hungry that he was literally starving to death. And in his starvation, he started hunting all over the place to find something to eat. And he went behind this building, and there was a mountain of bread behind that building. And he just started eating and eating and eating. And he ate so much that he couldn't eat another bite. And that mountain of bread was just as still as big as it was when he started. So he started seeking out his friends. He started talking to them about how good this bread was and how filling it was and how happy it made him. And he was taking them there one at a time, letting them eat as much as they could possibly eat, and they were rejoicing. And then he took the whole crowd there, and they all ate, and they ate, and they ate, and they were so happy, they just kept eating. And then they started going out and reaching out to their friends. I use this conversation to get a conversation with people who don't want to hear about Jesus because I'm that guy. I'm the one who found bread. I found the bread of life. I found the fulfillment and the rejoicing of Jesus in my life, the salvation that comes through him. And I've tried every day since I came into Christ to teach others about that bread and to take them all to that pile of bread so they too can eat. That's what I'm about. I'm hoping that's what you're all about, because all of you have tasted that bread. At least I hope you have. If you haven't, then I want to have a conversation with you later. But listen, these people were discouraged. Me, I knew if I can build a relationship sooner or later, that seed's going to sprout. It's going to come up out of the ground, and they're going to remember that conversation about the bread, and we're going to get in a Bible study with each other. I know it. It's happened to me. Some of them have taken two or three years to get to that place. Our group also decided they wanted to have a Saturday morning coffee. The original proposal was to meet every week on the first Saturday, or uh, to meet, at, at, excuse me, <laughs> to meet, um, on every Saturday of the month and drink coffee with our neighbors. So you can see the neighborhood relations, so gospelization can occur by caffeination. We knew if we could get people to sit down and drink coffee with us in our building, they would see the building, they would meet some of the brothers and sisters, and an opportunity might occur, and it has. Uh, we have a study going on with a woman who's been through five studies so far, working on teaching her the gospel. Now she's stepped out of the door. She's relocated to a, another place about a mile and a half from the building. But guess what? She was back for one of our meals here recently. So we know that this coffee hour is working. And then here's our baptisms. I, I'm not going to tell you about all of them. There's just a few that I um, really enjoy. Uh, one of them is the guy in the middle on the bottom. His name is Kevin. He got out of prison. He'd uh, done some things with weapons that he shouldn't have done. The judge told him that if he would go back to school or get his GED, get a job, and get his driver's license back, that he would reduce his felony charge to a misdemeanor. 
in the interim, Kevin had been connecting with us online, and we taught him the gospel, and he was baptized by a preacher, that, young, that uh, nice young guy there with the red hair, in Decatur, Indiana, after we talked to, talked to him about the gospel. Since then, Kevin has gotten his GED, Kevin has gotten his driver's license, and Kevin is now enrolled to become a welder, and he'll be working soon. He has the ability to apply for his um, felony charge to be reduced to a misdemeanor at the end of this month. But here's the thing about Kevin. Kevin found the bread. He realized that it can change his life, and he's working harder every day to do that. Uh, all the rest, except for this last person on the right, I want to tell you a sad story. We taught her the gospel over three weeks. We baptized her into Christ, and three days later, we've not had one contact with her since. She won't answer a phone call. She won't return a text message. We have no, no idea what's happened to her, but we do know that the parable of the sower is true. We know it. And then we have our harvest dinner, which, by the way, was last night. And uh, they had 21 people show up that we had never met before. In our congregation, they loved on them, they cared for them, they fed them, and they created a whole contact list so that we could follow up with them when we get back. So here's what's coming up next for us to finish up the year. Uh, we have a fall lecture series with Patrick Cannon from the Walnut Church of Christ. He's going to be speaking about, is Jesus still relevant today? You know, in Vermont, people don't even believe in Jesus. They have no idea how relevant he is. They don't understand that sooner or later, they're going to have an encounter with Jesus, whether they want it or not. And what we'd like them to do is to understand what's going to happen with them. And then for them to make the right choices. We're also planning this, a soup kitchen and warming center. We had a snowstorm last winter where people went 10 days without electricity. So they weren't able to cook. They weren't able to get their water from their well because they didn't have electricity. And it took them 10 days to get power turned back on. And they also had no heat unless they were lucky enough to have a wood stove. So our group, members of our uh, community decided that they wanted to help that out if it ever happens again. And so they're working and developing their strategy, their plan, and then how to implement it. And all I'm doing is making sure they have the right permits if we need them. And here's the last slide. I'll leave that to you. Oh, there's one last thing that we have to do here to end the year. We all got to get ready for snow up in Vermont. So th there's something that I think that is important to think about here before we uh, close out my presentation. And that is the thought about how we're living our lives. So look, I'm speaking to all of you who are in Christ. Listen, you know because sin is when you connect temptation by choice. You know whether you're sinning or not. And you know, when you let that go on and on, it just grows into something bigger and worse than it could ever be. I'm asking you to take just a minute and reflect on yourself. And if you've been sinning and you have developed a settled practice of sin, I'm asking you to come to repentance right here, right now. Lastly, if you're a beggar out there and you have not found the bread, there's no better time than now to get up 
and find that bread and receive the saving grace of Jesus Christ to, go bab- to be baptized for the remission of sin and to be able to rejoice in that salvation. There's no better time. So look, I'm asking you, if that is on your heart and you need to come to repentance or you need salvation, come forward now. There are men here who are strong in their faith that will help you to overcome your problems of sin and also to find Jesus. Let's stand and sing.